Corinthians, please. First Corinthians, again in the chapter 1. And this week we're reading from the verse 18. And we're going to read through the chapter 2 and the verse 5. Of course, we won't cover all of these verses this evening. But we just want to glean uh, from these verses and learn some lessons from God's word as we come to it this evening. First Corinthians, please, in the chapter 1. And we're turning to the verse 18. We're thinking under the title this evening, Called to be wise. Called to be wise. We thought last week about being called into fellowship. And this week we're thinking about being called to be wise. And this is the word of the Lord, verse, verse 18. And we read, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God. By the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this evening. Last week we thought under that title called Into Fellowship, how we are not to be split. And the people in the Corinthian church were following different people in their teaching. But we learned that we needed to, needed to be united around the cross alone. That we needed to look 
to Christ alone and also we need to elevate the gospel alone. And of course it is with this call to elevate the gospel that we find ourselves tonight entering into this wonderful portion of scripture that compares the wisdom of man with the wisdom of God. And tonight we're thinking about this title called to be wise. What does that mean? You know, sometimes, I mentioned this last week, sometimes I do think we get Paul all wrong. He was a human like the rest of us. And he feared for his life at times. Uh, but Paul, he knew that the power that he had didn't come from himself. The power in his preaching came from God. Uh, and he was clear on the gospel message. And that was because he was willing to humble himself before his God. If Paul had added his own thoughts to the message that he preached, it would have caused the gospel message to lose its power and to lose its effectiveness. And with all this in mind, I want to point out three things that Paul teaches us quite clearly in these verses this evening. And the first thing he teaches us about is what I'm calling the foolishness of God. The foolishness of God. Now, this is important. Look at verse 25. Paul, in a cynical tone, I feel, is saying this gospel message of the cross to the sinner is, verse 25, the foolishness of God. But he says the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Here are two things that in the city of Corinth they cherished. Paul says the foolishness of God is wiser than men. In the city of Corinth, they cherished wisdom, human wisdom. They would have had great orators, would have stood on platforms like we have here. And they would have stood and given their ideas and their philosophies and all the different ways that they felt life should have been lived. And they were interested in these intellects and they would have gathered round these intellects and tried to listen to them. They were very interested in what the world sees as wise men. Wisdom, that's something they focused on. And then Paul goes on, he says, well, the foolishness of God is wiser than those men. And he goes on and he says in verse 25, the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now Paul isn't saying that God is weak and Paul isn't saying that God is foolish. He is saying to the Corinthian people, he's saying your smartest intellects and your strongest athletes come nowhere near the might of God. They come nowhere near the wisdom of God. Imagine standing in Corinth and saying this two things that the people of that city cherished. Wisdom and athletes and strength. And Paul says my God is far better than your best athletes. Stronger. My God is far wiser than your wisest men. In fact God's foolishness is wiser than the wisest man in Corinth. And the church in Corinth you see. They were allowing this worldly wisdom. And this worldly thinking to come through the church door. And this worldly wisdom, it was destroying things. It was destroying the church in Corinth. And those who were saying, as we thought about last week, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter, Cephas, I am of Christ. It was bringing that division among them. But we'll see tonight 
that it was more sinister and more devastating than that because it actually opposes what they were doing, opposes the doctrines and the fundamentals of the gospel of God's grace that's found in Christ. Paul was telling them the true wisdom is the wisdom of God. It's based on the gospel of Jesus Christ revealed from heaven and that the gospel is the only thing that leads to wisdom and the gospel is the only thing that leads us to finding strength in this life. Strength in God is the only thing. And Paul's focus in his wisdom turns to the cross of Christ. And Paul begins this little section and he says in verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Foolishness. The preaching of this gospel, it's foolishness. The Greek word that's actually used for this word foolishness is a word that you and I know quite well. It's moral. Moral. And the, to human intellect, the message of the gospel, it was stupid. It was moronic. It was pointless. The idea and the thought of the Corinthians that God, the one true and eternal God, became a Jewish man and lived in Israel and was rejected by his people, was crucified by the Romans, rose from the dead, and is the world's only saviour, that was unreasonable to them. And that's what the early Christians were preaching throughout the Roman world. How can you convince somebody of that? You see, the message of the gospel is the complete opposite of worldly wisdom. You know, as the people campaign around our world for world peace and peace in their own hearts today, they would never come to the conclusion that someone had to die to bring peace to the hearts of men. They would never come to the conclusion that God had to come to this earth and die. And what Paul is doing here in verse 18, as he, say, he is saying quite simply, there's only two camps that people can be found in. And this is basic, you know it. Camp one are those people who are perishing. Look at the verse. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. foolishness. And then there's the second camp, the complete opposite, those people who are saved, because he goes on, but unto us which are saved, the preaching of the, gospel, of the gospel and the preaching of the cross, it is the power of God. In verse 18, Paul makes it very clear, there are two positions that every man and woman in this world is in, those who are perishing and those who are saved and going to glory, and they're two entirely opposed positions. They're not the same. They cannot be merged. They are black and white, fundamental absolutes that are not the same and can never, ever be confused. Look quickly at verse 20. He asks these rhetorical questions. The first two are talking about the Israelites. Where is the wise man? Isaiah 19 verse 12, he mocks the, he's mocking the Egyptians because they thought their wisdom was great and their wisdom was was the same as God's. Remember Pharaoh and all of Pharaoh's magicians, the four Moses, and they thought they could replicate the great wisdom of the God of Israel. But God is saying in Isaiah and also through Paul, where is the wise man now? Where is the scribe? Where is the scholar? Isaiah in his book also ridiculed the Assyrians because they had great arrogance 
when they thought they could outwit, uh, outwit the God of Israel and they thought they were cleverer. And Paul is using these words to call out worldly wisdom in Corinth that is leaking into the church. And he's saying, where are the Assyrians now? Where are they now? And in all the wisdom of the world and all the human intellect and philosophy, Paul says, God is so much greater. Look at verse 22. This was a stumbling block to people. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. The Jews wanted a sign. They got a sign. The resurrection. When they went to the tomb, what was it? It was empty. And the grave clothes were lying where they would have, where they would have been and where they should have been wrapped around the Lord's body and the stone was rolled away. The Jews got a sign. And there were eyewitnesses. The women saw him and the apostles saw him. And, and the Lord, he was with them for 40 days. And the Holy Spirit came and the church was established on the basis of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in spite of that, the Jews missed the sign and the Jews rejected the sign. And the apostles in the book of Acts went out to preach the resurrection and the Jews instead put them in jail. The Jews wanted a sign, but they wanted a different sign than the one they got because there was nothing in, in the sign. They, 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 there, there was nothing for them that they wanted to believe. What happened was contrary to what their expectations were. And really the truth of the matter is the Jews, they have missed it. And that's why it's so important, the work that Trevor Stuart Sweet is doing and people like that as they reach the Jewish people to tell them, to tell them that Christ has come and the sign has come and their Messiah has arrived. For the Gentiles, it was foolishness. The Jews, a stumbling block to the Gentiles, foolishness. But we know the foolishness of God is wiser than men. You can actually imagine the way it was in the first century Corinth. Paul arrives for the first time in Corinth with this gospel message uh, this we converted Jew, Paul, and he steps into the scene and his message it doesn't have any science and it doesn't have any philosophy. And the people of Corinth are looking at Paul with bewildered looks and they're saying, hey, we're not interested in this. This isn't intelligent. If you want to survive in these streets, you need to give us what we want. Talk about what we want. Shut down this message about the Lord Jesus. We don't want to hear about him. Paul arrives with this life-changing message and it proves to me this. It proves to me this. The only way a man or woman can be completely transformed from a fool to a saint is through the power of the Spirit of God. And we're called to be channels of that. We're, we're not called to be really intelligent people. You know, some of the most spiritual men and women I have met weren't intellects. They simply live their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think you need to be intelligent. Don't, don't think, I'll tell you, I know a man and he, he simply collects the bins every day. He's a great man for the Lord. A great man for the Lord and does great things for the Lord. In fact, he's coming to sing at our mission. And I want to tell you, you don't need to be the most intelligent person in the world to share the gospel. God just asks you, asks you to be available, to be clean, to be ready, to be willing for the Spirit of God to flow through you and to use your tongue to share the gospel message. 
So never you think that you're a nobody that can't share the gospel, you're not. God's willing to use every single person in this room. And I praise God for that. The foolishness of God, which is wiser than man, flowing through us. Are you not glad to be saved tonight? To understand that this foolishness of God isn't foolish at all. It's perfect wisdom. The foolishness of God. That's the first point. I want you to notice secondly. You you see in this passage your calling. Your calling. Here is the beauty of all of this. The story is told of a Scottish pastor. Who was talking to. Who was taking his nephew and, and his niece to school. And they were being a wee bit quarrelsome on the way. And he lost his concentration and he hit another car and it caused significant damage. And the driver got out of the car and exclaimed, look at all the damage. Someone is going to have to pay for this. And therein, in that statement, lies the foolishness of the gospel. Therein lies our calling to the Lord. It's when you and I realised the damage our sin had caused. That we would have exclaimed the same thing that man that got out of the car. Look at all the damage. Someone's going to have to pay for this. The Spirit of God showed us the day we were saved. That our sins had already been paid for. I want you to see what Paul did. Did did he intellectualize the gospel for the Greek people? No. Is that what he did? No. Did, Did he Judaize the gospel for the Jews? Did he make the gospel more acceptable? No. He preached the gospel undiluted. And the Jews and Greeks, many of them didn't accept it. But thank God there was a group who accepted the message. And in verse 24, Paul says, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, to them the gospel is is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Thank God tonight. That those of us who are saved can say that we are called of God. He touched me. And I can accept that. I don't understand it. I wonder do you. But what I know is this. I no longer see Christ in the message of the gospel as foolish. I see him as the Christ of the cross. Who went to the cross and paid for my sin. Who saved me. And Paul, he reminds the Corinthians that before God they were nobodies. But look at verse 26. It says this. For ye see your calling, brethren. See your calling. That's the point we're thinking about, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen yea the things which are not to bring to naught things that are not many he says three times not many not many not many here's the problem the people who were proclaiming the gospel they weren't they they were unremarkable The majority of believers proclaiming the gospel, they were unimpressive. And here's the thing, dear believer tonight, whether you like it or not, before God, we are nobodies. When you first experience God's grace, you don't feel superior, do you? When you're saved at first, I don't know if you felt superior, but you're humble. You're a fool and then the gospel makes you come alive. 
This is what Paul was reminding the Corinthians of. We are nothing without the Lord. What does Paul say? We're the base things of this world which are despised. And God has chosen nobodies to shame the wise. That's our calling. Your salvation leaves you no room for boasting. Verse 29 reminds us that God alone should get the glory for our salvation. Not a good preacher or teacher who influenced you. He that glorifieth, let him glorify in the Lord. Says verse 31. The Lord who, verse 30, gives you heavenly wisdom. The God who made us righteous through Christ. The God who has sanctified us and set us apart. And the God who redeems us. I want you to see finally this evening and very briefly the apostles resolve. He says I'm not going to be like the wise men who stand in stages and and try and impress the people around that. I'm not going to be like them. He says he's not going to turn and he's not going to impress the Jewish people and try and make the gospel in such a way that the Jews will that to Judaize the gospel he's just going to preach the gospel undiluted and I want you to see the apostles resolve that's our final point the apostles resolve here's what he says this is what I'm going to do Paul tells us in the first five verses of chapter two that this message is not to be presented according to the world's wisdom and Paul's determined resolve in preaching to the Corinthians is never to parade his excellent vocabulary or wisdom but to concentrate solely on Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what he says in these verses. Verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul says, My focus forever will be on the preaching of the cross. And he says, I will leave the rest to the Lord. Did you know that's all you're called to do? You're called to be faithful. And leave the fruit up to the Lord. There's a story told. Of a church who had an inscription on the outside wall. That inscription read. We preach Christ crucified. As the years rolled on. Ivy began to grow up the walls of this church. And they began to grow over the words. And eventually the inscription only read. We preach Christ. And sadly, that was reflected in the services. The full gospel was no longer preached. It was watered down. It was made a more palatable message. The ivy continued to grow and the inscription inscription eventually read, We preach. That's all could be read. We preach. No power. No one saved. And then it eventually read, Wait. No longer about Christ, but about us. And how we look to those around us and what are we look at what we're doing. My prayer is that that would never be able to be said of Grange. I hope that the full statement for us will always be we preach Christ crucified. Because I want to tell you if you want to be wise. If you want to be wise in God's eyes. We must be people 
who are willing to be always preaching the gospel of Christ, sharing the gospel of Christ. And I'll tell you, that's where the power is, not in us, but in the gospel. Our responsibility is to make sure that we're always those channels that the Lord can use and leave the rest of the Spirit of God. Channels only. Blessed Master, yet with all thy wondrous power flowing through us, thou canst use us every day and every hour. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Father, that it is the power of God unto salvation. We thank you, Father, for the day and hour that the gospel message was no longer a foolish message to us. But by your spirit, you opened our blind eyes and that we realized the need of our Savior. And Father, we took that step of faith. We praise you, God, that tonight we're found in your house with your people as a redeemed group, seeking to worship you and hear from your word. Father, we realize to those in the streets around us here that the gospel message for many still seems like a foolish message. Father, we realize at times we, in our desperation, go to our own efforts and we do things that we ought not to and we don't rely on you and we Try to do many things just to draw people in. But Father, we pray that we would never preach a watered-down gospel. We pray, Father, that we would stay true to the message. We pray, Father, that we would rely wholly on the power of the gospel. We pray, Father, that you would keep us faithful in sharing the gospel with those around us. And Father, we pray that we will see souls won for Christ. Father, these are dark days. As we look around us, our hearts are saddened. As we consider all that goes on in our schools, we worry for the next generation. So, Father, we pray that the gospel will fall on the ears of the young people of this generation. We pray, Father, that you would save many. Father, we see many of the children in the green cycling and running around in these summer evenings. But, Father, we pray that in some way that they will hear the gospel and that you would save them. Father, we, as we think of this, we think of the Holiday Bible Club next week and how the gospel will be presented each evening. Father, we pray by your spirit that you'll open blind eyes and save precious souls. Father, be with us now as we come to our time of prayer. Bless us. And Father, we pray that you will be pleased to hear and answer our prayer. And we ask this in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen.